When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, gang. You know, I always try and kick off the podcast with something people can hopefully relate to that then dovetails or segues to our always amazing guests. So here's one. How many of you took lessons? I don't don't care if it's music lessons, tennis, horseback riding, church choir, tutoring, whatever. Something you needed your parents to drive you to or to support. Okay, me. I took, are you ready? Guitar, piano, (laughs) singing. Tennis, yes, equestrian, none of which I can do well today. But you know what? Dad paid and mom drove. The support my guest today gave to his daughters led them to become global sensations. Every single person listening knows them. Hold on, hold on. Their father quit his job at Xerox to manage his daughter's career, a move that chopped his income in half and meant that they had to sell their home and didn't really know how it was going to go. Did it pay off? Well, you decide. My guest today is Matthew Knowles, father and manager of his daughters, Beyonce and Solange Knowles. It is great to have you, Matthew. Wait, hold on. I'm not done. Today, Matthew's an artist manager, music executive, college professor, and entrepreneur. But you need to hear what he had to overcome both well before and after achieving incredible success because you know what? It's going to rock your world. Right, Matthew? I mean, I, I just love your story. Well, I can't wait to tell it, Liz, and thank you for inviting me. I want our, our listeners to know that when we were just chatting before we started, I said, wait, do you live on the West Coast? And you said, well, I live on an airplane, uh, which I thought is hilarious because <laughs> you travel so much, I'm sure, for, for your work. But you just came back from, is it Dubai with Beyonce? How was that? Uh, I tell you, it was the, one of the most amazing experiences uh, the hotel uh, hasn't opened yet, so 350 guests were invited, guests from all over the world. Get get this list. Everything was complimentary. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I mean, Dom Perignon, <gasps> the best of the best of the best. Mm. They had th- 35 restaurants, over 80 pools. Um, Beyonce's performance was amazing, and she put a lot into making it for the moment. Uh, It it was a a great experience for me. Well, those are known as, well, for cruises, they call them shakedown cruises, where you you offer free cruises to people just so that you work out the kinks of the problems. What what hotel is this? And and, because now I want to go. It was the Atlantis. um, And and they have a staff of 6,000 people. That's how large their staff is. 80 pools? Yes. Did you hit all 80 of them or just 58? Uh, one. <laughs> you know, it's so hard to believe. You, this is amazing to hear these heights that you've reached. But, you know, it it really all started in Texas where you raised Beyonce and Solange. So did you relate when I recounted all the times my mom drove me to lessons? Yeah, I did. I heard that. I uh, I, I, I tell you one thing. 
my former wife uh, and I, we never really forced our kids to do anything. What we did, which hopefully it's not unique, but other parents are glad are listening. We wanted to expose our kids to various things when they were like five, six, seven years old. Mm -hmm. We would take them to science fairs. We'd take them to the skating rink. We would take them to NASA. We would take them all over cultural experiences as well. And we wanted to see what they gravitated to. And, and both of them, Beyonce and Solange, gravitated to music. And so then we surrounded them, put them in a dance troupe, uh, which I think is uh, discipline, it teaches discipline. And, and then slowly, uh, actually the dance teachers say, hey, you know, BS, they can really sing. And there's a category called <laughs> dance sing. Do you mind if I put her in, put her in it? And we were like, yeah, go ahead. And, and he won <laughs> uh, and went on to win 35 more competitions. And then we began to think, well, maybe there's a chance here. Well, you were living in Texas with your kids, but you're not from Texas. You're from Alabama, which is a far cry from walking the red carpet at the Grammy Awards, right? So uh, before we get to you know, how you made the big decision to end your job at Xerox, which was obviously paying pretty well to manage uh, Beyonce's career, I want to go back to your childhood because how people grow up, I feel, gives them, or not, the spine and the stick-to-itiveness to fight through any kind of difficulties. Tell me about your folks in your life in Alabama. Yeah, I grew up in a, a small town called Gaston, Alabama, 50 miles north of Birmingham. Um, I had role models. My grandfather uh, on my mother's side, Dave Hogue, um, in Marion, Alabama, uh, Dave Hogue owned 300 acres of land, and and I used to look up to my grandfather, about mm. six six, um, just firm, uh, but very kind, but a businessman. Uh, he had two businesses. One, he was a farmer, but he convinced a paper mill in Marion to lease a third of his land, pay him because they needed to tear down, you I know, mean, cut the trees and make paper. Okay. He would go behind them and then farm. Genius. They paid him to cut down the trees and the bush. That so he, he needed cut farm. down. <laughs> the second thing is the first time I ever heard a white man say, call a black man mister. Um, and I have this in one of my books. My grandfather was a regional moonshine distributor. And I was as a kid one summer there and knock on the door on a Saturday morning is Mr. Hogue here. And I had one of my cousins and we we couldn't believe it. They call our grandfather Mr. <laughs> that was that was a big a big deal for us. So I had my grandfather and then my parents, you know, my mother, um, she was a colored maid, made three dollars a day. But she convinced the woman she worked for to give her all the hand-me-downs. And, and my mother with her two girlfriends on the weekend would make these beautiful quilts that we hear about in the South. My, my dad was a truck driver, and he convinced the owner of the trucking company to let him keep that truck 24-7 
and he would tear down old houses, sell the wood, the metals. He would buy old cars, sell all of the parts. So I learned learned entrepreneurship from my parents and my grandparents. This is amazing, Matthew, uh, on on many levels. But that's what I'm hearing this this genetic streak of entrepreneurial spirit that must have given you such guts and such hope and such, I guess, a pathway. And and it's really important for kids to see what can be achieved. And it feels like that was laid out right in front of you. But I, I do want to go back to what you just said about the first white person to call your grandfather Mr. And that touches me deeply. I, I want our listeners to understand you grew up in a very segregated Alabama, and yet you attended an all-white elementary school, right? I mean, during a very dark time in American history. What was that experience like for you? We're talking uh, 1952 is when I was born uh, in Gaston. So we're talking the the era of George Wallace, uh, Mm. stark segregationist. Um, I never went to a black school less than only elementary, but I never went to a black school until my junior year of college. So that meant I disintegrated, desegregated uh, Litchfield Junior High, Gaston High School, University of Tennessee at Chattanooga. Mm -hmm. uh, And then finally, my junior year uh, went to Fisk University, which is a historically black college university, HBCU, in Nashville. Um, so I have a lot of battle scars. I've been beaten. I've been spit on. I've been electric prodded. Um, a lot of trauma. Literally, and I'm sure we'll talk about this, 10 years of therapy um, that I went through. Took a while before we realized my therapist, and I had to actually change therapists, that my issue was racial trauma. Really? Hmm. This is Everyone Talks to Liz, and we're going to be right back. I know a lot of you have had this experience because for those of us who in 2020 were all sent home and we were stuck in a lockdown during the pandemic, we had a lot of time on our hands. And I saw an ad for Masterclass and I thought, I want to better myself. I want access to all of these brilliant people who teach you things. With Masterclass, you can learn from the best to become your best. Masterclass is the only streaming platform where you can learn and grow with more than 200 plus of the world's best and smartest. For just under 10 bucks a month, an annual membership with Masterclass gets you unlimited access to every instructor. And I don't care, you can wake up one morning and say, I want to learn about business. And then another where you say, I want to learn how to survive in the wild if I have no water and no fire to make me warm. You can access Masterclass on your phone, on your computer, smart TV, or even in audio mode. And the classes totally make a difference. Don't wait another moment to start your learning journey with Masterclass. Right now, our listeners get an additional 15% off any annual membership at masterclass.com slash Liz. That's 15% off at masterclass.com slash Liz. Masterclass.com slash Liz. Racial trauma. It, well, makes absolute sense. Absolute sense to me. And when you say you had to change your therapist... Was that because you weren't getting to the bottom of your problem with the original one? Yes. I, I, uh, a wonderful, wonderful person, 
Jewish New Yorker, um, but she didn't understand from a black man perspective. Mm -hmm. And I realized that I had to get a black man that was a therapist who could understand my perspective of where I was coming from. Uh, and once I made the change, uh, things began to open up and I began to understand uh, that as a child, um, as he used to say, if it wasn't for the environment that I grew up in, I wouldn't be as successful. And had it not been for the environment that I grew up in, I would not make all of the failures and mistakes. So it was an oxymoron right, uh, right. because being in that classroom, I, I never forget my first day at Litchfield Junior High, and I'm walking into uh, uh, my English class because we never changed classes in elementary school. And by the way, can you believe that I went to a Catholic elementary school? <laughs> oh uh, so we have to add that to, to the list. Oh, yeah. And so I'm walking into my English class, and I'm sitting down in the second row, and English teacher asked me to read a, uh, in the book, an uh, English book. We were reading Shakespeare, a uh, paragraph, and I, I, I butchered it. I butchered it. And, and all the, the, the white kids, I'm the only black kid in the class, just started laughing and throwing spitballs. And uh, it was uh, uh, an experience that I'll never forget. Yeah, a, a lot of kids, white, black, whatever, would butcher Shakespeare today, and that uh, that just enrages me. But look what what you then accomplished. So out of college, I would imagine you had a couple of jobs. What brought you to Xerox, big corporation? Well, I was in, in Nashville, Tennessee, um, and, and literally just came to Houston um, because one of the universities was playing uh, Texas Southern University where I ended up actually years later teaching for, for nine years. Hmm. Uh, and I just love the energy of the city. And uh, this is, I always tell this story, me and about 10 other black guys, uh, we were just going to happy hour. Um, I had taken a my first job with Pitney Bowles, really didn't like it. And here I am with just guys hanging out on a Friday and this, young guy comes up to me and he says, I've been listening to you guys. How would you like to, and he, came, he was speaking to me, how would you like to work at Xerox? You're absolutely, your leadership is what we're looking for. Wow. I thought the guy was joking. <laughs> I would say, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> no, no, no. I want you to meet me at eight o'clock on Monday. And he gave me his card and Sure enough, that's how I got my job at Xerox. Literally, you never know who's listening. That's the moral moral of that story. Wow. You never know who's listening. And and how far did you rise? Like, What part of Xerox were you working with and for? Well, it's very interesting because I only sold copiers, which is what we know that Xerox for back then. For a year, I was in the engineering uh, division in sales, but then I got a quantum leap to the medical division of Xerox, uh, selling zero radiography, which in the eighties hmm. was the leading modality for breast cancer detection. Which fast forward later on saved my own life. Well, we'll get to that because therein lies the mountain that sprouts up this volcano in front of you. 
So here's real dedication. Your then-wife, Tina, was running a hair salon. By then, you had reached unbelievable heights in corporate America, number one sales representative worldwide at Xerox. And then you went to work for some other companies, including Philips, where you were also completely very stellar when it came to the ranks. But you made the decision to quit. What was that like? Take us back to that leap of faith that you had to take, leaving corporate America to do something that was unknown, because it was not easy, I would imagine. It was a defining moment for me. There was a, a surgical case I was doing in the morning, and after the case, I got paged overall in the hospital. And I'm thinking, wow, I must have either said something terribly bad or maybe we lost the patient and there's a protocol for mm. that. And so the neurosurgeon asked me to come to his office and I'm, I'm so nervous. I don't know what I, I did wrong and I'm trying to <laughs> rethink every movement. Um, and then he tells me and he shows me this letter um, that said that if he didn't reduce his cost per procedure, he would lose his ability to practice at that hospital the first generation of managed care oh. uh, in the medical field. Mm. And when he told me that, he told me, I'm sorry, Mr. Knows, but I can't use your instruments anymore. And I then called Tina and I said, Tina, I just can't. I actually said, I can't do this shit anymore. But <laughs> <laughs> I, and I, uh, and I, I just said, I, I just can't do this. That's when I just began to make a transition. And I, I share when I when I do a, a lot of public speaking. I didn't quit that day. I just did a transition to get out of okay. corporate America, Fair which enough. included me to go back to school, uh, to take uh, music business courses, to go as many seminars as I could around America to transition into the music industry. Parenthood, though. Matthew is hard enough, but what's the dynamic like when the dad becomes the manager of the kid? You know, I have to tell you, it was extremely difficult and for several reasons. One is I managed a group. That's even more difficult than mm. it was just managing my daughters as a solo artist, because then I have other people that's part of what they're doing. Yes. That I have a fiduciary duty as a manager to be fair and equitable with all of them, which means sometimes I had to make tough decisions that was and were not best for Beyonce. Mm -hmm. Like what? Do you remember? Well, any? like who's going to lead the song or huh. um, okay. what they're going to wear or her opinion, but the other girl's opinion was different regardless if she had the better opinion or not. She's in a group. So if three people says, this is what we think is the right thing, then that's what wins out, not the one person. Um, it's it's really difficult. And it, it was really difficult because I spent a lot of time uh, being a manager rather than being a daddy. Yeah, that's what I, I was sort of going for here, because that's a that's a tough fence to scale, I would think. But you, you obviously did very, very well, because both the group and then when she started her solo career, absolutely brilliant. And the success that she's achieved is is stunning. I, I would then sort of fast forward it 
to 2019. You're on top of the world. You're a luminary in the music management world. You're giving motivational speeches. You're teaching. And then you noticed a recurring, was it a blood spot on your shirt that led you to see a doctor? Yes, just imagine a sheet of paper and a red pen. You put six dots on it. Okay. And that's what was on my T-shirt one day. And um, I, I looked at it. I didn't think anything about it the first day. I, I literally thought my wife had gotten some new T-shirts or something. And the second day, got my attention. And then I asked my wife, hmm, these new dots, I don't understand. And she was like, that's interesting because... When I cleaned the sheets the last two morning mornings, there were dots on your side of the bed, red dots. I had a, a one-day course when I was in the medical division of Xerox, and it was about male breast cancer. And I remember just vividly that nipple discharge was one of those symptoms for male breast cancer. So I called my doctor. I told him what was going on. I, I, I Asked him, I said, you know, I, I think I need to get a mammogram. And he was like, gosh, in all my years of practice, I've never had a male patient that I referred to get a mammogram. And then I had to be firm, like, I'm telling you, I need to get a mammogram. Uh, and so I got a mammogram uh, on a Monday, got a biopsy on a Wednesday and had surgery on a, a Friday. So it was cancer. It was cancer. But it even went a step further. Um after my surgery, and I have, I wish this would have happened before my surgery, uh, but after my surgery, um, we did a saliva test for a genetic testing, and it turns out that um, um, I'm, 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 I have, it turns out I have a genetic malfunction, the BRCA, BRCA the BRCA gene, BRCA gene, and so that just means I have a higher risk, not that I have it, but I have a higher risk of prostate. Uh, pancreatic melanoma. Um, as men, we have a higher rate when we have that BRCA gene. So uh, I have to be ever aware and make lifestyle changes. Uh, and, but I annually get my MRIs, my blood tests, my mammogram. Uh, and I'm fortunate that I found my cancer stage 1A, uh, which is all about the stages, which, uh, as you know, determines the type of lifestyle that we have and the type of medical care that we would need. This is a way bigger issue for men than men know or even think about, is it not? I mean, the numbers are pretty significant when it comes to male breast cancer. Uh, you've well, gone my, out there and talked about it. Yeah, I, uh, I make that one of my platforms, uh, health and wellness. It's much bigger than we think because... Men are embarrassed and ashamed uh, to say that they have breast cancer. So we have to change the narrative. We have to change the messaging uh, and the messaging. And I'm so happy and, and proud how the medical community has accepted this. Uh, I say male chest cancer. And let me tell you why. If I was jogging in, in Central Park with my shirt off, nobody would care. If you were jogging in Central Park with your shirt off, you mm. would go to jail. Yeah. So for someone to say there's no difference, that's not true. Well, there, there's quite a big group of people who say we should be able to just do the exact same thing as men. I mean, it's all just skin. It's just our human body. But 
you know, I, I totally see your point that when you message it by saying chest cancer, perhaps it's a little easier for people to wrap their minds around and certainly go get it checked. No, it's certainly much easier for men to wrap their head around it because I've had so many whispers in my ear. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for saying it that way. Huh. Uh, I have it, too. Well, it runs in your family, right? Your mother, your aunt, your great aunt, you all had cancer. Is that correct? Yes, that's correct. So, And uh, on my father's side, uh, my grandfather and four of his sons had prostate cancer. Oh, you know, um, we've just spoken last week to Taylor Dane, who had colon cancer, the singer. She's just amazing from the 80s. And she had 10 feet of her colon removed. Um, as as you look forward, you know, you you love teaching. I mean, this runs in your blood. You became a teacher, as you said, at, at Texas Southern. You've held positions at Pepperdine, London College of Creative Media, Point Blank Music School, and all these these other organizations now that you're out there teaching health and wellness, what is your number one message? You know, I, I really talk to a certain segment, um, which is the Black African-American community. Black men, uh, we lead in modality, death rate, in uh, mortality, rather, death rate in every category except breast cancer and suicide. Uh, the same for Black women. Uh, they lead in the mortality rate for breast cancer. So I'm out there talking about early detection, but I'm also talking about mental health as we are now beginning to find in the medical community that unresolved trauma can cause cancer. Uh, and so I'm out there talking about well, mental well, wait, health. Wait, wait, so you're, you, uh, you know, I've, I'm a believer that stress releases toxins I, it, it's almost along those lines is what I'm hearing you say. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And so I'm sharing that message, pulling back from the classroom and doing more of just public speaking, motivational speaking, uh, talking about the DNA of achievers, health and wellness, entrepreneurship, uh, marketing sales, those types of topics. DNA of achievers. I like how you put that. I was taking a Peloton this morning, and the teacher, Robin Azron, I believe her name is, amazing. And she said, turn your doubt into determination. Isn't that one of the number one characteristics of entrepreneurs and, I guess, optimists and winners out there? We all have doubts, right? But you turn it into determination. We absolutely do, but more importantly, the number one trait of success is having and have found your passion and understanding that when you live your passion, you never work a day in your life. And most people haven't really found their passion. What is it that energizes them, that fuels them? Uh, we often listen to other people and we're sometimes even embarrassed and ashamed to say, this is what I love, because some people will look at it and maybe laugh at it or I discourage you and say, you would never do that uh, or it's not the cool thing to, to be. Um, so I, I'm all about finding your passion in life because what coexists with that, like a glove, 
It's work ethics. And so that's why you see these highly successful people, highly successful athletes, music. They practice, practice, practice because they love so much what they do. Have you seen that within Beyonce? I know she has it because I I have heard that her sound checks are as energetic as once she's in front of the the actual audience. Can you kind of encapsulate what she does? Well, that was part of the Destiny's Child boot camp that I used to give the girls. And that simply is you practice how you play. And so Ah. in sound check, practice how you play is you sound check as if you're performing in front of 10,000 people. Most artists go haphazardly about it. Uh, but again, my philosophy always with teaching my artists is you practice how you play. I hear that Bruce Springsteen does that. He gives it 1,000%, even though you're sapping energy in some way, shape, or form for the evening production. And I I think that that's fascinating. You've got to give it 1,000%. I, I like that. Practice how you play. <laughs> that's amazing. What's more amazing is your story. Matthew. I'm so appreciative that you've shared it with us. Thank you so much. And thank you so much. I enjoyed this, and I look forward, hopefully, to having another opportunity to talk with you. Well, I'll tell you what. When we drop it, <laughs> when it goes, what, is it next week, Zach? Yes. Okay, my producer says next week. Uh, we'll get you the link, and you get it out far and wide to whoever you think can really benefit from this message. Well, thank you so much for allowing me the opportunity to share my message. Well, I think actually everyone can benefit. So I I feel I'm going to float out of this audio room when I leave today because I've learned so much from you. Thank you very much. Have a wonderful day. You thank too. You. Matthew Bye. Knowles. So you guys, honestly, I hope you were if – you're, if you're driving, don't be writing down things. But, I mean <laughs> – Go home and write down some of these things that Matthew just shared so generously with us. Practice how you play. DNA of achievers. Oh, my goodness. I just I'm I got to go write things down. Uh, In the meantime, thank you so, so much, as always, for listening. And we've got great ones every single week. You know that. So we'll see you on Fox Business Monday through Friday, 3 p.m. Eastern on the Claim and Countdown. Want to listen ad-free? You can do it with a Fox News Podcasts Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. And then Amazon Prime members, you can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app. I'm Charles Payne. Listen to my Unstoppable Prosperity podcast so I can get you making money right now. Whether stocks are hitting new all-time highs or in free-fall mode, opportunities abound. So why are so many potential investors still sitting on the sidelines? In a new season of my podcast, I'm going to get you in the game. After 38 years on Wall Street, I'm ready to impart some lessons and get you invested in the greatest wealth-generating machine in history. Listen anytime, everywhere at foxbusinesspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast.